Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. I love that Isaac is preparing to officially launch the church plant in College Creek just a few blocks down, and Jesus is working in and through this body, as David mentioned. Uh, I love this last week that we, we, somebody said, I've got a car I want to make available to somebody. Can I sell it or give it away? Somebody said, I have mattresses I want to give away. Um, there was one other a refrigerator, a freezer. So I just love how the Lord, through the power of his spirit, is sort of that picture of Acts 4, uh, Jesus working through his people um, as we're being changed and transformed by the gospel, looking outward. So thank you for your investment in being part of this body. My name is Joey. I have the gift of serving Downtown Hope as lead pastor alongside of my brother, David, and a wonderful team here. And um, we're just so excited to be part of what the Lord's doing. So this, this Sunday brings us to the end of our series, Precipice of Promise. We've been studying Deuteronomy. Uh, next week, we're going to be jumping back into Luke. We took a break uh, from Luke uh, after, uh, at, the, at the beginning of summer. And uh, it's been a run through Deuteronomy. How many of you have enjoyed that? How many of you have never have read Deuteronomy before until the last six weeks, eight weeks? Good. And, I mean, Deuteronomy is a challenging book. I hope you've been thoroughly challenged. I know I have been. I know Katie and I have been. Um, I love our daily writers, how the Lord's using us, uh, using them in our lives as we're just reading through the Scripture. And that's what we're doing. Is that's our practice as a church. We just open up this book. We dive into it, little chunks at a time, week by week. Sign up for the daily. If you don't get it now, it's, it's not supposed to be a huge, sexy devotional. It's supposed to get you into the Word, and our contributors do an awesome job of that. We're so thankful for them. And this morning, we come to the end of Deuteronomy. Now, I want to just share a story before we jump into the passage. Um, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life over the last few months to discover that my children love 80s rock. I did, not, I did not tell them to like 80s rock. I don't know what is going on. There's a lot going on in the world, and that's one of the things. Gen Z is into 80s rock and roll. So my son's playlist, Africa by Toto, Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard, My Pejorative by Bobby Brown, Take On Me, okay, yeah, that's a good one, okay, Prerogative, oh, thank you, (laughs) Prerogative, yes, that's right, (laughs) it's a good catch, Um, uh, Karma Chameleon by Culture Club, you know, that's a good 80s song, and my daughter is who's also 16 today. She said not to share that, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, she is a huge Billy Joel fan. Um, so songs, songs that we listen to, our playlists, they, they really matter. And this morning in Deuteronomy 32, at the very end of this, of the Torah, Moses writes a song, and he shares a song with the nation of Israel, and that's what we're going to spend this morning looking at together. He's commissioned to write a song, and the songs that we listen to shape our lives, and the question that I just want to 
walk us through this morning is what will be the most listened to song on our playlist? Because my son has a number of songs here that he's listening to, but what will we as followers of Jesus, what will be the song most listened to on our playlist. So I want to read uh, the first five verses of Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to skip to the end part, and then we're just going to take time to walk through it. So please, um, you can take out your Bibles. Um, I uh, intentionally this morning am not going to have all the verses on the screen because I want you guys to dig in for yourselves a little bit. So download the app now if you don't have it on your phone. We're looking at Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. Starting in verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And then jumping to chapter 32, verse 31. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. It is not, is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries, vengeance and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are the gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now I, even I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we meditate and reflect upon this song that you commissioned Moses to write and share with the nation of Israel, we ask that we would absorb it, we would hear it, it would get into our minds, it would get into our hearts, it would get into our hands. And Lord, we would deeply consider the songs that we listen to, Lord, and the song 
um, that is here, that it might be at the top of our playlist in a way. So Lord, we ask that your word would speak to us and your spirit would illuminate, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. There's a background to this song, the story that began in Deuteronomy with the, or actually all the way back in Exodus with this child floating down the Nile, rescued baby Moses. We're now a number of accounts into the journey. He was raised up as a leader, liberated the nation of Israel. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. They were given the law at Mount Sinai, wandered in the desert for 40 years, and here they are on the edge of the promised land that God had made to them. They're on the precipice of promise, and this is the la- some of the last words that Moses has for the nation of Israel before he dies. He's about to die, and he knows it, And the Lord makes it clear that he has to succeed him, Joshua. Joshua is going to lead. This is chapter 31. Um, The Lord's going to give them the land. The Lord is encouraging them to be courageous and strong. And then in chapter 31, Joshua is being commissioned to take over leadership. And where does this happen? It happens in the tabernacle. So they go into the tabernacle, and this is kind of how the situation goes. I'm going to just sort of recap it for you. They're here to commission Joshua and the Lord says to Joshua, or to Moses and Joshua, Joshua's going to lead, but Moses, you're going to die, and then the people are going to utterly rebel and run away from you. Like, wait, hold on. I thought this was a commissioning of Joshua, not about Moses, and this is also probably, if you're Moses, think about how disheartening this is. Here you are in the tabernacle, and you're told you're going to die, and then the people are going to rebel. And then, in verse 19, he says, so here's what I want you to do, Moses. Write a song. (laughs) This is where he gets the commission to write the song. Write a song that will be a witness for me against the people of Israel. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And so, he pens this song, which we find here in verse, in chapter 32, which I read the first part and the last part. Now, what I want to do here is just walk through this song. What is the content of this song? Because if this is the last song, some of the last words, that God is giving to Israel through Moses, it's probably an important song for us as followers of Jesus to wrap our heads and hearts around. Are you with me on this? Okay, so we're just going to break it down really simply. The first four verses here in chapter 32, you know, at the beginning we do an intro jam here, and there's like some music that plays. This is a little bit like the introduction of the song, okay? You can think of, of this like a song, okay? And what we have here is Moses telling Israel of God's beauty and God's wonder and God's greatness. Okay, here, here the, the, you heard me read the words, let these words drop like dew from the sky. There, there's this idea of water falling on tender grass, showers nurturing the herbs, and we're ascribing greatness to God. And so the, the song actually gets off to a pretty strong start. And you're like, this is a song I think I want to listen to right? Like, this is awesome. Set my heart and my affection on who God is. God is perfect, verse 4. He's a rock, okay? But then in verse 5, we sort of have this, like, little, uh, little foreshadowing. But Israel is, rebel, is rebellious. They're a crooked and twisted generation. This is what, what Jesus ascribes to the Pharisees in Matthew 17. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 2.15, this phrase, crooked and twisted generation, and so we sort of have this, like, God is great. Listen to the words of this song. It's going to be like, do fall heaven. But then the people, the nation of Israel are, at their core, utterly rebellious. 
And so then in verse 7, we shift into what we might call the first stanza, the first verse of the song. And, and this really goes for about seven verses here, from verses 7 to 14. And what is happening here? Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is calling Israel to remember their past. So we have things like recounting the generations. This is actually a throwback all the way to Genesis. We find in verse 9, Israel is the Lord's portion. I love verse 10. He found Israel. God found Israel in the waste of the wilderness. Isn't that amazing? Contrasting. Here they are in the wilderness, on the edge of going into the promised land. And, and, And Moses, in this song, is reminding Israel, look, don't you remember where you came from? Don't you remember who your God is? You are the apple of his eye, verse 10. He's like an eagle who flutters over his young, verse 11. The Lord guided, the Lord alone, remember the Shema we talked about a few weeks ago, the Lord alone guided them, verse 12. And I love the imagery of 13, verses 13 and 14. Suckled him with honey from the rock, oil out of the flinty rock, curds, milk, fat from lands, the finest of wheat, foaming wine made from the blood of grapes. Gracious provision in the life of Israel. He's recounting how they were brought out. They were not a people. They became a people. They were his, ch- the, his child, his son. And then in verse 15, we find the story shifts. So the first four verses, we have an introduction. It sets our heart on who God is. And then we have this recounting or this remembering, which is really sort of a recap of all of Deuteronomy, isn't it? The Lord is asking them to remember how he was gracious with them, how he had cared for them, how he took care of them, how he provided for them all along. But then in the next verse, we might say, verses 15 through 18, there's a conflict because what we find is Israel's absolute and utter rebellious nature. Israel forsakes the Lord. Jeshurun, in verse 15, is a a poetic name for Israel. So you get this image of Israel being provided for, eating, drinking the finest wheat, but then kind of getting fat and comfortable and starting to think, wow, we're, we're kind of entitled here. All this goodness that God has poured out into us, man, it really is for us, isn't it? And there was a kind of unhealthy comfort that started to stir in their hearts. And they began to, instead of setting their affection on the Lord, their provider, they started to set their affection on other gods and other nations. And they, as verse 18 says, they were unmindful of the rock that bore them. They forgot the God who gave them birth. And this is a a difficult but a necessary aspect of the song. You wouldn't really think this would be in the song, and it's, it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better, okay? You would think here at the end of this journey, okay, God has been faithful. Israel's on the edge of promise. Moses is going to die, the poor guy, right? Just give him a song of encouragement. Just give him a song that just says, I'm going to flutter off into the distant on a horse, and, you know, everything's going to be okay. The sun's going to set, and I'm going to go in peace, But here, the Lord gives them in this song like this not great news. I mean, he he said it when he was in the tabernacle with Joshua. Moses, you're going to die and the people are going to rebel. And now here he is saying it again. It's not necessarily the the part of the song that we like to hear. It's the minor chord, right? It's the minor note. It's the pain in the song. 
And rightly, there's a response to this, okay? There's a response to the people who are living in utter rebellion. We find this in verse 19 through 22, the next verse of the song, okay? So we have the intro jam. God is, uh, God is good and he's, he's gracious. He, listen to these words. We have the first verse. He's provided. We have the second verse. Israel has rebelled. And now in the third verse here, we have a right and painful response from God. Verses 19 and 20, the Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provoca- pro- <laughs> provocation of it. <laughs> of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will, listen, he said, I will hide my face from them. What what is God doing here? He's saying, if you all decide in your hearts that you want to rebel and run from me and forget me, I am going to rightly give you what you are asking. I'm going to hide my face from you. And this evokes anger in God, verse 22. There's a distance between the nation of Israel and their Father in heaven. There's a distance there because they have rebelled. They have run away from him. And this evokes what is a really difficult topic in the scripture, but it's so important that we talk about it and we understand it rightly, is this idea of God's wrath. In verse 23, I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them. You say, wow, that is so difficult to hear. Isn't God love? The answer is absolutely God is love. In fact, if he didn't rightly justly get angry with injustices in the world and our own sin, He would not be a God of love. He would be a God that was apathetic. I love how C.S. Lewis says this. He's describing God's wrath. He says, anger, no peevish fit of temper, okay? Because sometimes in our cultural context, we hear the word wrath and we think God's just throwing a hissy fit. That's not what God's wrath is, okay? God is not emotionally up and down like that. He's weighing and he's seeing people in their rebellion, and he has a right, loving, difficult, painful response to it. So C.S. Lewis says, anger, no peevish fit of temper, but just, generous, scalding indignation passes, not necessarily at once, into embracing, exultant, re-welcoming love. So what C.S. Lewis is doing is he's tying the reality of God's wrath with the deep sense of his passionate love that he has for us and his hatred for injustice and evil. Lewis goes on, he says this, that is how friends and lovers are truly reconciled. And if you have ever been through conflict with someone and reconciled through it, you'd know the intimacy on the other side is so profound, but you only get to that intimacy on the other side if you work through the conflict in a real, honest way. If you ignore it, push it under, and you don't talk about it, there is no intimacy on the other side because you're just being a fraud. Okay, so he says, that, Lewis says, that is how friends and lovers are truly reconciled. And here's here's C.S. Lewis's definition of wrath, which I think is probably one of the best ones I've heard. Hot wrath, hot love. Such anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. When you love someone so deeply, you are so profoundly committed to them. When, when they 
run from you, when they harm you, when they harm somebody else, there is no, there is no other response than for you to be utterly angry, indignant against what they're doing. You would not be loving if you, did, if you had any other response. If you say, oh, it's no big deal, we'll just let that pass under. That is not love. And so we find in this song, as painful as it is, and I know it's hard in 21st century to hear these words, we find the deep, profound love of God playing out in his just anger against sin and our rebellion. But then the song shifts in verses 26 to 31. The song shifts, and here's what it says. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should be misunderstood. There's a shift that happens. The Lord is saying rightly he has to punish the injustice, the evil, the wrongdoing in the world. And if any of you have ever experienced injustice in your own life, if any of you have ever been abused, if any of you have known somebody who has been abused, you understand you cannot let those things go. And God was not ready to let this go. And yet, he says, but something happened. I would have said I would have destroyed them, but something else is on the line. His glory his reputation upon the earth. And so there's a shift in the song that moves from punishment, even though it would be right punishment, to salvation. And this leads us to this final verse, this anthem chorus of the song, we might say, where we see this glorious picture of the Lord vindicating and rescuing from the enemy nations, 31, He's saying their foot shall slip. Verse 36, he says, he will vindicate and have compassion on his servants when he sees their power is gone and there's nothing remaining. That's a picture of God seeing Israel in their utter rebellion, running away every way they possibly can. He says, you know what? I see their power is gone. I see they have nothing in their ability to change course and I will vindicate them. I will, I will avenge them. I will come to their rescue from the enemy nations, even the enemy nations that they have sort of gotten in bed with, so to speak. He says, I will come and pursue them. I will deliver them. This is his avenging nature, his authority, and his kingly reign, and we see this play out powerfully in the last several verses that I read. It, it sort of throws us forward to the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ comes, yes, as a humble servant, but he also comes and he will return as a warrior, as one who avenges evil and injustice in the world. And so that's the song, you guys. Like, that's a full song, is it not? It's not a song that says, everything's okay, puppies and rainbows, have a great day. But it's also not a song that says, there's despair and you have no hope. What this song is, is this, it is the song that we are to continually listen to as believers. And, and, and what is the purpose of this song? We actually found the purpose in chapter 31, verse 19, in the tabernacle there, where the Lord said to Moses, write this song down. Why? What is the purpose of this song? The purpose of this song, he says, is a witness against Israel. Now, that sounds like, what? What, what, that doesn't sound like a song I want to listen to. 
Why would the Lord ask Moses to write a song that's a witness against Israel? But let's think about this. What is a witness? A witness is somebody who exposes something. Uh, And a witness is something who brings something that happened that maybe is confused out into light with clarity. And so this song, a different way to say it is this song actually functions as a, wit- as a witness, as a, as a song of exposure. And, and, and what is being exposed here? It's a song of exposure that will continually and ongoingly expose Israel. I think this is why Moses was asked to write this song and why the Lord wanted this song to be put to memory in Israel. Like, they're not supposed to forget this song. This is the, this is the, the playlist. This is the, the song on their playlist that they're supposed to listen to over and over and over again. And it's a song of exposure. It reminds them of the depth of their sin and what they're susceptible to. And it reminds them of who God is and how wonderful he is and how loving he is and how gracious he is, how he's provided for them. And it reminds them of how deep and passionate and fiery his love is for them, that he will stop at nothing to avenge them and provide for them and take care of them despite their sin. Can I tell you what this song, can I just translate a little bit here for us into the 21st century? Do you know what this song doesn't say? You can do whatever you put your mind to. That's not the message of this song. You can achieve your dreams. I mean, wouldn't that, you, I mean, in the 21st century, we might think that would be the song that they would get left with, right? Going into the promised land. It's a promise. Like, just take, name it, claim it, go for it. It's all you. That's not what the song says. But the song says, Israel, you are desperately rebellious, and you cannot save yourself. You're inclined to become comfortable, and you're inclined to, become, to, to worship other gods, and to get satisfied with all kinds of other people and things in this world. That's, that's, that's a core part of the message of this song. Now, if you've been raised in a Western American context, like if you're here, you're not necessarily, you, you haven't professed faith in Christ, or maybe you have, you've been going to church your whole life. This song is probably deeply troubling to you. <laughs> it just is not the puppy and rainbow song that we all sort of hear over and over again in our culture, my Lou. It's just not that song. It has, it's far deeper, far richer, far more nuanced. It has higher highs and it has lower lows. It is honest. It is transparent. As we say, well, why do we have to focus on the negative? Why, why can't we just focus on the positive? Why was it vital for Israel to know how rebellious they, are, they were? And why is it vital for us to know how we are rebels to the core? Can I, can I just give you a real-time example of this? And I, I'm just going to pick on everybody here, hopefully. It just, I hope it pricks every single one of us in this room. Hey, when Katie and I were in, in England, we noticed this, okay? Th- they were doing all the mandates, open, close, mask, no mask, all that. And, and at one point, the government said, restaurants can open. So we're walking down the street in Oxford, and we see this sign on the front of the restaurant, and it says, welcome back, because that was the sign. (laughs) Like, that is so, and I love my British friends, it was so quintessential British. Like, it's not like, come on, everybody, get on back, we get to meet again, you know? It's just like, because we can, 
because the government has allowed us to, we're okay. And let me tell you, they are rule keepers, and they are actually, there actually was pretty uh, low drama around rules, no rules, masks, no masks, vaccines. Everybody certainly had their conviction and their opinion on it, but people for the most part just played ball and were pretty much in line. Okay, just transition over to across the pond, okay? And we are a nation of rebels. It's how the nation was founded. And whether or not you have a conviction about vaccines or no vaccines or masks or no masks, I want to make the argument that all of us are equally as rebellious to the core. I know in there is genuine care, genuine care for protection against um, COVID and genuine care uh, for freedom and, and, and maintaining liberty. I get that. There's genuine care on both sides, of both. but what also is in there is an utter desire to rebel and control your circumstance. And depending on how much that pricks your heart might depend on how much of an idol you've made it into in your life. And you can come talk to me afterwards, okay? <laughs> I'm here online, just come talk to me. I'm happy to have that conversation, okay? And if, if that isn't what you're rebellious about, there is something in your life that you say, I will not submit to that. I don't care what anybody says to me. I don't care what my best friends say to me. I don't care what my spouse says to me. I don't care what my parents say to me. I'm going to do what I want to do because that's what I want to do. It's deep in here. It's in my heart. It's deep in my soul. Is it in yours? Do you know what the consequence is if you're not honest about that? You will go through life. We will go through life in, in despair in one of two directions. In one direction, if you're not honest about the depth and the reality of your sin, okay, you will go through life dishonest. You will be living, you will be a living fraud. You will not be honest about the human condition. And you will see terrors in the world and horrific things that unfold in the world, and they are out there. And somehow you will shove that away and say, nope, nope, not me. Nope, we as people are just overall good to the core, and there's really no such thing as sin, and there's really no problems in my life. I'm just a good person. And I, will, I would challenge you, you will not be living an honest life about the reality of the world we find ourselves. But there's another risk, and that is if all you focus on, if the only, song, only part of the song listened to is that you are a sinner to the core and you are rebellious to the core, and there is no hope, you will fall into a different kind of despair. And, there, and, and you will live in despair. And this is part of the problem in our, in our cultural moment in the 21st century. And there's a lot of historical background to this, but we have, in essence, extracted God out of the equation of life. At best, he's distant. At worst, he doesn't exist in most of the culture that we find ourselves in now. And, and if you adhere to that, you are either going to have to say, everything's good. There is no God, and there are no rules, and everything's good, and I'm just going to live my life how I want in that way, or you're going to see the pain and the reality of the suffering and the, and the sin effects of sin in the world, and you are going to fall into deep, deep despair. It's easy to listen to one of those two songs, but this song, the song of Moses, captures both. It says you are deeply rebellious. You are rebellious to the core. And yet, there is good news because God has not left you alone. We don't listen to an incomplete song. We listen to a song that brings us 
to the point of utter desperation. That's honest ambition, and then a song that sings us to the heavens and points us to the hope that is found that we were singing and proclaiming earlier, that Christ alone is our hope and our help. It is horrible news if you listen to an incomplete song. There's an anthem playing over all of our lives, and the question is, what song is it that we will listen to? Romans 15, 10. Paul quotes the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43. And in this passage, in this song, what Paul finds is hope not just for the nation of Israel, but hope for the world. In Paul's translation from the Septuagint, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's a picture of this hope and the love and the gospel, the good news of God, of Jesus Christ, going out to be a light to the world. Why do we need to listen to a song that's honest about our sin condition? So we can listen to the rest of the song and understand how deeply loved we are. Let's pray. Lord, there's a great temptation in our day and age to edit and to cut out the parts of life, parts of messages that we are uncomfortable with, and we're clinging to your whole word, and we're clinging to the whole song here. And Lord, for some of us in this room, this is really challenging and you are stretching us even in this moment, and your spirit is evoking us, and, and, and it might even cause us great discomfort, great frustration, great anger, great pain. And others of us, Lord, in this room have become utterly apathetic, and we've been living our lives on our own terms. We've gotten fat and drunk on the meat and the bread and the wine, and we have turned away from you in our hearts and we're giving you lip service, but our hearts are far from you. And you know where each of us are in this room, and we're thankful for this song that we get to listen to each day of our lives. It's a story and the song of the entire scope of Scripture, and it's the song that finds its climax in you, Jesus, and the cross, and the hope that we have even in the despair of our sin. And so we ask that you would meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.